0: Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to find ourselves in Scripture. And we are excited to, beginning our, to be beginning our first week in Don't Be an Ugly Christmas Sweater series. And so we are excited you're here with us today. Um, and, and honestly, this morning, as we're getting ready to get into this series, um, we're reminded pretty quickly that this time of year can bring out the not-so-good side of us amidst all the commotion of Christmas. Uh, This time of year can bring out a lot of the not-so-good side of us, uh, especially with everything going on with the Christmas season. And I wanted to take the next couple of weeks and talk about how we can turn those ugly Uh, things in our lives, to positive, loving things, to show people the love of Christ. Um, Not only is it just normal Christmas commotion right now, not only is it normal just Christmas kind of busyness and and shopping and all those kind of things and trying to work everything in, on top of that, we add in the extra stress of dealing with all the things in our world right now. Trying to do family things becomes very difficult, trying to uh, consider ways to Be flexible for everyone's scheduling, or maybe you're doing things more of a FaceTime or a Zoom type thing or whatever it is. And so not only do you have the normal Christmas kind of commotions, now you add on top of that the the things going on in our world right now, the cultural things, different things like that. And it's pretty easy to understand how you can become ugly in your motives, in your words, in your thoughts and attitudes. How we can become ugly this time of year in our motives, our words, our thoughts, and our attitudes. Over the next four weeks, we're going to unpack each one of those and look deeper into these different areas and discover how to share the hope, love, joy, and peace of Christ this Christmas. Rather than showing ugly motives, words, thoughts, and attitudes, we want to spend this month showing people the love, the joy, the peace right? The joy of Christmas, the Christ in Christmas. And so that's our endeavor over the next few weeks. Uh, I'm so thankful you're here with us this morning. And again, whether you're joining us uh, here in person or online, it is amazing to be able to spend the next few weeks with you. And I want to encourage you, uh, make the decision right now because this is how things are. Uh, and a, a pastor told me this one time, and it's so true. If you don't plan your time, someone else will, right? Is that true? If you don't plan your time, someone else will plan your time for you. And so I want to encourage you, make the decision right now as you're seated here in the auditorium that I will commit to be here every week for this series. I will be here the next four weeks. I'm going to make that commitment right now. And I know you might think, well, that's, I mean, I I plan on being here. But if you commit to it and you say, no, I'm, I'm going to determine to do this thing. I really pray that you'll be able to be a part of this series. And again, maybe you're joining us online and, and you would say, you know what, I'm going to commit to making it a point to tune in every single week and watch what God is doing. And then let me encourage you this. Maybe next week you would reach out to a family member or a friend or a coworker and you would invite that person to join you maybe next Sunday. Maybe you would say, hey, would you come and be a part of what God is doing at this church that I've been going to? It's amazing to see how God moves. And it's not about, by the way, the music. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the decorations, although the decorations look awesome. Okay. It's about God's word being declared. And so it's not a, it's not my show. It's not the band. And so when you're, when you're talking to someone about coming to the church and being a part of what God's doing, let's make sure we emphasize those things. Now we can let them know, man, we got some amazing children's ministry workers. Um, I don't know if you saw this last week. Kelsey channel shared this on her Facebook page. I love this. Um, her son Everett was in class Wednesday night for our gopher buddies and poor guy had a real late night the night before and just didn't get out of sleep. And so he kind of zonked out on the table. And so he's sitting on the table, you know, just out cold. Okay. What's amazing is, uh, one of our gopher buddy leaders, uh, Diane Blount was literally moved over next to him and sat in a way to keep him from falling off the table. Now, that's an amazing children's ministry worker right there. And and even when it happened, Sandra, uh, my wife, Sandra, who teaches, uh, was talking about that. And she said, you know what? Let's just let him sleep. He's had a rough night. I mean, I love the compassion that our volunteers and our servers and our workers and our teachers show those that they serve. It's not like, hey, what are you doing? You need to get up and pay attention. They looked at the situation and went, you know what? And I love that she made sure he wouldn't fall off the table. That's amazing to me. That's kind of a silly thing to be excited about. But I love that, right? So you can encourage people with that, man, we've got some great, you know, kids ministries and word of life. And man, our, our band is pretty amazing. I'm not going to lie. I think we have a very talented band that loves the Lord and serves the Lord and does a great job. Um, there's been more than once where I've heard a song on the radio that our band has done. And I looked at Sandra and I was like, our band does this song better. Like that's just, that's just the reality of it. So, or I like the way they do it better than the original. So you can say all that. That's fine. But let's make sure the emphasis of what we're trying to encourage people to come and encounter is Christ. It's the word of God. Uh, you know, it's amazing to me. We've had people visit our church over the years, and I've had people tell me, you know, I visited a lot of churches, and it's amazing that you guys actually get into the Bible every single Sunday morning, every single Sunday night, every single Wednesday night. And I thought to myself, it's a church. Like, what else are you getting into? Like, if you're not getting into God's word, what's the point of coming together? And I know, let's be real, perception is a lot of things, right? Like, people say that, they go to a church once or twice, and they get a perception. It may not be true, okay? We need to understand that. But I found it odd that they would make even a note of realizing something was different in that regard. So it's all about getting in God's word. And so this week or this month, we're going to get into God's word. And we're going to see what God's word has for us. And so I pray that maybe you would invite someone to be a part of what God is doing. Maybe, again, you're not here physically with us. You're watching online. Maybe you would just invite someone to watch online with you. And you would say, hey, every you know Sunday night, Monday, this gets loaded on the website and the app. Let's watch this together in our own locations. And then maybe let's talk about it. So maybe you have a, uh, you're a couple, and you have a couple that you know, and and you're kind of staying at home, and they're staying at home. Man, get them on the the website, get them on the app, watch the services together in your own locations, and then maybe text each other a day or two later, like, hey, what'd you think about this, and what'd you think about that? See, one of the things that's amazing about where we are right now as a culture, as frustrating as it can be to have to be at home, man, there's still opportunity to minister to people. There's still an opportunity to let people know that, hey, this season is not about the stuff; it's about the Savior. Is a way to do that. And so in whatever way, over the next month, I encourage you to take advantage of those opportunities and let people know what God is doing. So our goal, again, is that we would see the Christ in Christmas, that his amazing gospel, the good news for all people, would be our focus. That being said, again, we can have some ugly motives this time of year, ugly motives and motivations this time of year. And that usually becomes pretty evident in a couple places. So one of those places is the parking lot at Walmart because you ever have that situation where you pull down a lane and you're going the right direction in the lane. Let's just make that reference. There are right and wrong, you know, because the way the vehicles are and you're waiting to turn into a spot. And here comes a car from the other direction. And you're like, what's this Yahoo doing? You know, so you turn your blinker on. Why you turn your blinker on? You're letting them know. Hey, buddy, I'm going right there. Okay. It's nice. It's the nice way of doing it. Hey, God bless you. Appreciate you coming down the lane here. Good to see you. That's my spot. And then what do they do? Click, click. They turn their blink around. And then it's this moment of like, what do you want to do right here? Right? And all of a sudden, like all your Christmas joy gone. Cause I'm not parking way over there. I'm parking right here. Okay. You get in the store and you see the lines at the checkout and you go, oh, right. What's that motivation? man, I don't want to wait in line. Uh, Yeah, I'm buying this gift for my loved one, but do I got to wait in line to buy it? That's lame. Like, I got stuff to do. See, sometimes our motivations can actually kind of turn ugly, can kind of turn, if we're being honest, selfish this time of year. Again, it's more evident in certain locations, and certain areas, but I think if we're not careful, it can rise up at any given moment, at any given time. If we're not careful, we make this time of year really all about us is what we do. It reminds me of a motivation we read in the the birth account, the birth story of Christ. And so Matthew chapter 2, and look at verse 1. These selfish motivations remind me of Herod's motivations when he heard of the coming of Christ. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, very popular passage, and we're going to read a lot of very popular passages. Um, I tell you, I bought a sweater that is doing its job. It is warm, okay? I am like, whew, okay, Holy Spirit, something, I don't know, it's getting warm up here, okay, Chapter two, verse one. Let's look at that. Okay. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? And we're going to talk about the wise men in just a little bit. Where is he born or where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. I have to stop here and make this note, this reference. I can't read that without making this note. Imagine someone so powerful that when he gets upset, the whole city gets upset. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean every single person was upset with Herod? No. That means Herod got upset, and that caused fear in the people because they realized that guy's crazy. And if he gets upset, it's going to rain down on us. That's what is actually being talked about there. So it goes on to say this, uh, verse 4. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, Inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. You can see what Herod's doing here. He's trying to game plan. Okay, when did the star show up? How long has it been? How much time has gone by here? In verse 8, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me the word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts. Father, we ask that you would be glorified above all things in the reading and declaring of your word, that, Lord, you would give us a great insight and a wisdom and discernment. As, Lord, it's easy to come to church and 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 put on the 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 outside look of of just everything's fine everything's good uh, lord that i can i of course i'm i'm here for everyone else and i'm generous and all these things lord but if we're not careful those selfish motivations can rise up in us and we don't show it all the time but there are a lot of times where it, it comes out lord these these ugly motives these selfish desires that this time of year becomes more about us than about others more about self than the savior I pray, Father, you'd give us great wisdom in in being able to discern our hearts and minds, which only comes from the indwelling and equipping of the Holy Spirit. It is only from spending time with you in your word and in prayer that the Holy Spirit that you gifted to us opens our hearts and minds to the reality of not just what your word says you are like and who you are in your character, but also reveals to us who we are. And like looking in a mirror, We look into that mirror and we are shown the things that need to change. And then by your grace and only by your grace, you remove those things as we surrender them to you. And you give us something better. Where where was that selfishness? You give us generosity. Where there was bitterness, you give us peace. And so I pray that we would just be humble enough this morning to honestly look into your word. Honestly look into who you are. And to who we are called to be, realizing that by that we can be changed and made even more into the image of Christ. I pray that we would see Christ in Christmas, not only for ourselves, but that we would declare it for others. Father, we love you and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, we see Herod's motivation. Herod's motivation, it was not to worship. What does he say to the wise men? Hey, I want you guys to go find the wise man or the, the baby that was born. When you find that baby, I want you to come and send me word again. And when that word comes, I will go and worship him. Is that really what Herod wanted to do? Was Herod really that hungry and desirous to go and worship the young child, the Messiah? Of course not. His true motivation was to get rid Of the Messiah, to remove the Messiah. He was not interested in anything other than self preservation and keeping his power and authority. We, if we are not careful, can have selfish motives as well. Now, obviously, not to the degree, and we would read this account of Herod and go, Well, come on now, wait a minute. I'm not like that. I would not be that. I would never do, I would never, of course, maybe not to that degree, but if we're not careful, under the guise of thinking this season's all about Christ, we've really maybe made it all about us, all about our schedules, all about our convenience. We have a choice to make. Will our motives be selfish or sacrificial? Will our motives be selfish or sacrificial? So selfish motives are seen when it's all about me, when it's all about me. We can make this time of year again all about us. What we want is a gift, what we expect from others, our schedules, our schedules, our convenience. When we have these motives, we put so much weight on those around us. When you have that motivation of just selfish motivation, my schedule, my convenience, I want this gift. I want that gift. You better do this and you better do that. And we put that all on someone else who's close to us. We are just burdening them. By the way, with an expectation they can't fulfill. They will never match up to that expectation. I've heard it said before, and it's so true. If you want to just completely obliterate your spouse, put all your expectations on them, and then expect them to fulfill every one of your expectations. And you will just crush your spouse because they can't do it. They weren't designed. They weren't created to meet all of our needs. There's only one that truly meets all our needs, and that's the person Jesus Christ. So see, maybe we don't mean to do it Maybe we don't think we're even doing it. Maybe we think we're fine. But have we taken the time to look in and go, man, is this time of year all about me or is it all about Christ? Is it about me or is it about others? See, when we really honestly evaluate where we are and our motivations, our motives will become clear. And actually, our motives will come out as we'll talk about in the next couple of weeks with our words, our attitudes, and our thoughts. See, our motivations will become evident if we're really paying attention. To be honest, I can fall into this trap. We can all fall into this trap. For me, it becomes evident when I catch myself complaining about this or that. When I catch myself complaining about something that was inconvenient to me, something that I didn't expect was going to happen, and now I have to deal with this extra inconvenience, and I start complaining about this or that. I'm just going to be real. I can be a complainer, okay? I can be a complainer. I can complain with the best of them. I can whine with the best of them, right? Right? I can moan and groan and complain and go on and on and on. And it's usually in those moments when God just lovingly and graciously says, really, do you have it so bad? Is it really that big of a deal? You see, when it's all about me, my motivation is seen as selfish. Not only when it's all about me, but when it's all about the stuff. When it's all about the stuff of the season. This is the number one strategy of advertising and marketing groups to get you to think that what you have isn't sufficient. You need what they're selling you. Isn't that true? You ever watch commercials anymore? It's all about getting you to think, man, if you had this car or this, that, or this phone or this, whatever, man, then you'd be living. Then you would be really having it. The aim is to make us believe that we don't, if we don't get this or that gift, that it's a bust. Now, I will stop and say this. I feel every Christmas I have a pastoral obligation for the parents and grandparents to give you this wisdom. So I hope you're taking notes. Socks. Underwear. I'm starting to shake the pulpit like a Hamlin moment. I was getting going a little bit there. I don't know what's happening. Clothing are not, hear me now, in themselves, gifts. As a parent, you have an obligation to provide clothing for your children. That'd be like wrapping up a box of Captain Crunch and being like, here, you can have breakfast tomorrow. I gave you cereal. Here, Here's dinner tonight as a gift. Now, are those things gifts? Sure, you don't make your kids pay for them. Maybe some of you do. I don't know. That'd be weird. Okay, give them a bill at the end of the week. You ate a lot of food this week. I hope you got a job because... I mean, I, I always think about that. Like, it's just an eight-year-old kid opens up socks. Like, what do you expect that child to do? Do you really expect gratitude as a parent? Oh, yay. Socks. Okay. But obviously we understand that, listen, we, we, when we give these gifts to people and people receive them, I hope when we're receiving gifts and it's not socks, we're thankful. Okay. We're joyful. We're appreciative of these things. But I know in our culture today, Kids today, listen, I, I, teenagers, kids, whatever, they've been conditioned. If it's not this thing, it's a bust. We've lost the the whole point of it's the thought that counts. Man, I, as a parent, I loved when my kids were little and they'd give me these gifts that were like just cardboard or not cardboard, but uh, construction paper cards. I just scribbled on. it was cool to me. You know why? Because I was like, you thought about this. I remember when my kids got a little older and they got a little bit of money, they'd go to the store and spend like five bucks or something, you know, and, and they'd come home with this gift. that I really didn't need the gift, right? But, man, they went to a store. They stood in that aisle. They thought about it. They, they thought through what would Dad want, what could Dad use. I'm just going to tell you, this last year, um, I, I think it was Father's Day, uh, I got an axe for Christmas, it's the coolest gift I've ever gotten in my life, man. It was so cool. It was like for, you know, we go camping and stuff and they were like, we thought you could use it to, you know, split wood or chop wood or whatever. And I was like, I have an ax. Like, this is awesome. You know why I love that though? I've used it like twice. I actually used it at camping because they were like, dad, get your ax. And I was like, okay. Sanders in the background, like someone's going to die. Someone's going to lose a limb, a finger. It's going to end up in the forehead. I don't know what's going to happen. The boys were just like, Hit it again. Hit that again with that ax, okay? Did I really, I mean, did I need the ax? I mean, not really. But man, I love that they sat down and they thought it through. And they thought about me. See, that's the point. And I think in our day and age today of like technology and and all the high-end things, you know, it's amazing to me to see all these things that are out there and available, that we've lost some of that. And I think sometimes people think if I don't get this or that, then it's not really a good Christmas. Man, that's the most selfish attitude you can have. When someone invests money into something and gives it to you as a gift, and then you go, oh, it's okay. Wow. Because you've made it all about the stuff. There, and this is marketing, again. There's a commercial, and I've seen it a few times now. Uh, it's a Buick commercial, and it's, I hate it. It just drives me crazy, okay? Not because it's Buick. That's nothing against Buicks, whatever. Maybe you drive one. I don't really care, but it's a Buick commercial. And it's all about these people that, secret Santa themselves, a car. Have you seen this? They buy themselves a car, but then they surprise themselves with the car. Like there's one woman who comes out and she's like this and she goes, I shouldn't have like, and it's for herself. Like it's, she bought the car. She knows what was there. One of the people in the commercial actually says to James from James. Oh, wow. I, I was pretty good this year. And I remember watching thinking like, wow, you know what I get when I watch that and you're like, you're overthinking it, probably. But you know what I think when I think, that, see that? Either I better get a Buick or it's not a good Christmas. By the way, nobody gives their spouses like a Lexus for Christmas in reality, okay? Just so you know. If you, if you watch those commercials and you're like, I can't wait till I get married and my spouse would surprise me with a Lexus, yeah, you better live somewhere else because that didn't happen in Emily City, okay? I'm just telling you. <laughs> Let's be real for a minute, okay? It's not. It's not. You might get like a Ford pickup truck. I mean, that might be about the, the highest end you're going to get, okay? And if I walked outside and Sandra had bought me a Lexus and put a ribbon on it, I would be so mad. Do you know how many vehicles you could get for that one? Like this is, you know how much money we're spending on that thing, on the car payment on that? So we're, we're blessed because we're the same way. We're like, hey, how much is that like 10-year-old minivan? Like that's what I'm, put, the, put a ribbon on that and park it in the driveway and I'm excited, right? So, but when you think about that, like you see these commercials and it's all about either I better get a Buick or I better get this. Or if someone doesn't get me a Buick, I'll just get it myself. And after all, I deserve it, right? I deserve it. I've worked hard enough. I'm good enough. See, this is the aim that they want us to realize, that it's all about the stuff. It's about getting the car, getting the thing, getting this item. And it better be there. If we aren't careful, we will turn a time of year where we humbly accept the eternity-shattering gift of grace and forgiveness of sins through the coming of Christ into a time of year where it's, I better get this or that, or I better get them this or that. If we aren't careful, I'm going to read that again. If we aren't careful. We will turn a time of year where we humbly accept the eternity shattering gift of grace and forgiveness of sins through the coming of Christ into a time of year where it's I better get this or that, or I better get them this or that. We stress over finding the right gift because we are afraid of letting them down. Now, obviously, we should put work into the gifts that we give people, we should put thought into it, but we should do it with joy, not obligation. We should do it with excitement because we want them to be pleased with it because it's going to be something they maybe want or they could use. And we just want to have joy in that, not because we feel obligated to do it or because we want to be praised for it or we hope maybe they'll give us a better gift in return. I always think about a show, Everybody Loves Raymond. I haven't watched it in years, but there was an episode where Ray was trying to figure out what gift Deborah was getting him so he could evaluate what gift he should get her. And so there was this big mix up and he ends up getting this gift and she gets him this amazing gift. And then he feels, uh, you know, I don't know what to do because now she's expecting this gift. And if we go into gift giving with that mindset, we got the wrong mindset. If it's about trying to like get praise for it or like, well, I know if I give him this gift, they'll feel bad and they'll give me this kind of a gift. How selfish is that? You see, in comparison to the selfish motives we are tempted to let lead us this time of year, I want to see that. It's sacrificial. I want us to see that it's sacrificial motives that led the wise men, as an example, to follow. Herod had selfish motives. It wasn't to worship Christ. It was self-preservation. It was keeping his power and authority. It was what he wanted. He wasn't even to look past, willing to look past the need that he had. It was, no, I want what I want, and I don't care about this Christ. All I see in Christ is opposition. But the wise men, in comparison, had sacrificial motives. So see, sacrificial motives are seen when it's all about the Lord. Pretty kind of simple, right? It's all about me, selfish. It's all about the Lord, sacrificial. This isn't meant to be confusing or complicated. It's actually pretty simple. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. We read all about Herod's selfish motives. That he was just troubled because he didn't want to lose his power and authority. Herod, if you study history, Herod was actually a quite insane individual as far as when it comes to his threatening of his power. Now, it's said that he built a fort that he never actually went to, but he built it with the sole purpose of in case all of his troops and all of his soldiers turned on him, he had a place to escape in solitude. He just built it just because. Killed family members that he thought were threats to him. Just an insane individual. And so when Christ comes on the scene and you read verse 2, you can see why he was terrified. The wise men say this: Where is he that is born, king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. We see two groups, two individuals. We're going to say it this way: the wise men and Herod, both declaring we want to worship. Right? Isn't that what Herod said? Send me word, and I'll come worship. The wise men come. Hey, where is he born, king of the Jews? We want to worship him. However, I would suggest that one wanted to worship one did not. And here we see these wise men come and they already acknowledge his authority and they already acknowledge that he is worthy of worship, that he is worthy of their sacrifice. Herod heard king of the Jews and it sent him into a terror. He didn't know what to think. See, these wise men journeyed far, as far as they did for one purpose, to be able to see the Lord and worship him. It's not about them. It wasn't about their convenience or their comfort. It was about the Lord. They weren't in it for the glory. They were in it to worship and sacrifice before the Lord. These men came from the east, possibly Babylon or maybe Persia. And they were basically astrologers or or they studied the stars. Okay, They were astrologers or they studied or watched The stars, which leads us to a question in this passage, read about the star, right? That led them to Jesus, that led them to Bethlehem. But why a star? Where in the world does that come from? Go over to Numbers chapter 24. We're going to go over to Numbers. Numbers 24, way back in the Old Testament. Keep something there in Matthew. We will go back to Matthew in just a moment. So put a Bible marker there, or if you're a parent, the kid's crayon that's in your purse or pocket. Numbers 24, and we're going to look at verse 17. So Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, listen to what it says here. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh, which means not right now, basically not soon. There shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. The key here is that opening couple of phrases. He says here, there shall come a star out of Jacob. What is Jacob referring to? Jacob's referring to the nation of Israel. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab. You see, this is considered by Jewish uh, readers as a messianic prophecy. This is referring to the Messiah. Jewish writers and, and Jewish understanders of scripture would say this is messianic in its nature. These men from the east saw the star over the land of Jacob, Israel, and it drew them. And they knew he was a king. Why? Because Numbers tells us that a scepter shall rise. Scepter is a word for rule or authority, right? One that has authority rules with this idea of a scepter. And they would have understood that. They would have understood this rod or this staff, or even it could be considered a branch. Again, for a reference, you could put Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. The scepter carries a mark of authority and rule. We do not know these men as far as their names. Uh, we don't know how they knew of the prophecy of the Messiah. It's kind of interesting. These men from Babylon are possibly Persia. Uh, we don't, they, don't, they don't sound like Jewish believers. They're, they're not necessarily named as Jewish believers. Uh, they're astrologers, and from the land that they are, they're most likely Gentiles. But how in the world did they even know of the star of Jacob? How did they understand to even look for this? Or when they saw it, how did they recognize it as something relating to the Messiah? Some believe that they would have learned the prophecy either from it being passed down when the Jews were in Babylon in captivity, or there were currently Jews living in the land that made this prophecy known. Either way, these Gentile men were sent, I believe, and used by God to awaken the religious Jews to something they should have seen themselves. The most powerful thing, go back to Matthew chapter 2. The most powerful thing in Matthew chapter 2 is that they knew Where to go. They've never stopped to realize that they knew exactly where to go. And these Gentiles come from a foreign land and declare, we've seen this star. We know it's the star of the king. Where is he to be born? We came to the palace. Why'd they go to the palace? Because where would a king reside? At a palace. So they show up at the palace. There's Herod and they're going, hey, where's he that is born? King of the Jews. They're confused. They don't understand. Why is the king not here? So Herod does what? He calls for the religious leaders, the scribes. They come in. And what does he ask them? He says, hey, where is he going to be born? And they said unto him in verse 5 of Matthew 2, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And they quote the prophecy. They're not unaware. They know exactly where he's going to be born. And God uses these Gentile astrologers. To travel from a foreign land to awaken the religious to the coming of Christ. And they still didn't follow them, did they? I'm just going to be real with you. If I was one of these scribes, I might question the validity of these guys. Like, uh, They probably don't know what they're talking about. But wouldn't you just be a little curious to go, maybe I should check this thing out. I mean, it's a little inconvenient, but could be the Messiah... These guys are nuts. They might be nuts, but if it's the Messiah, then I want to be there. If it's the Lord Jesus, I want to be there. These men were used by God to awaken the religious leaders to something they should have seen themselves. See, the reality is the religious were too selfish in their assumptions of Messiah or maybe too stubborn to investigate. They were too selfish in their assumptions of Messiah, of who he would be and what he would do. And they were ultimately too stubborn to even investigate. You see, these wise men showed their motives as sacrificial, and it was clear that they came to worship. It was all about the Lord. We move from selfish to sacrificial motives also when it's all about offering the stuff to him, not the accumulation of stuff for us. Go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. So it says here in verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, this is a reference to the fact that Mary is not in uh stable anymore. Jesus is not in the manger anymore. Some time apparently has gone on. Um, Jesus is in a home now. And so they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they'd opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. We get the gold. The other two were like, what's that about? Verse 12, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. So how do we know that Herod's motivations were not really sacrificial but selfish? Because God warns them, hey, just go on back home. Don't bother telling Herod because God knows Herod's motivations are ultimately for self-preservation and keep his power and authority. You see, it's all about offering the stuff to him when it's sacrificial and not selfish. The word presented here in the King James means offered, offered. And I hope you don't miss that. I hope you don't miss this. These Gentiles offered more to Christ at his birth than all of the nation of Israel. These Gentile astrology astrology star watchers offered more to Christ at his birth than the whole nation of Israel. But honestly, what a great picture of the ministry of Christ, is it not? That we see even in his birth, the lowly shepherds coming to his birth. And then here a short time later, these Gentiles offer gifts to him. They did not come to exalt themselves with credentials or notoriety. They Did not come in fanfare. They merely came to offer gifts to the Messiah, to the king. Now, we don't know how many wise men there were. We don't know their names according to scripture. Although church history and church tradition does uh, tell us they had names and tells us that there were three of them. Uh, It doesn't reveal that in the text. And so we don't know that for sure. We think there was three because there was three gifts. I don't know if that means anything or not. There could have been uh, two or ten or five. We don't know. It's really irrelevant, really, when you think about it. And the fact that we had to try to name them and all these things, again, it's kind of ironic to me. These men, I believe, wanted to be kind of anonymous in their giving. I don't think these men went to be known. I mean, we see that's how scripture reveals them. And so I find it interesting that through our church history and traditions, we've tried to give them names. We've tried to figure out how many there were. And really they just, the whole point is that they came to offer gifts to the king. It wasn't about them. So I want to encourage you this morning. What are your motives right now? I want to ask you to consider your motivations, not the motivations of others, which by the way, we're really good at doing that, aren't we? We're awesome as a culture right now at judging other people's motives. Well, you said this and you said that because you mean this and you meant that because you think this and you think that because you're this. And we're really good at that, but we're really, really bad at looking in the mirror and going, what's my motivation? Why do I think or do or say or have this or that attitude? I want us to consider our motives. Will we have the same motives as these wise men this Christmas? Will we desire to make it not about us, but all about Christ and others. We can truly have some ugly motives during this Christmas season. Let's decide today. Let's commit today that this Christmas, my motives will be sacrificial, not selfish. That we will emulate the example of these wise men in making it all about Christ and others. Unlike Herod, unlike Herod, who is driven by selfish, prideful motives. So I want to ask you, what's your motivation this Christmas season? Is it about getting this or that thing? Is it about this or that thing you want, your convenience, your comfort, your inconvenience? Let me just be real for a minute here. Some of you might be really, really annoyed that you have family members that don't want to gather together. That might really bother you. I get it. But maybe you would step back and go, you know what? Maybe I can show a little grace. Grace. Maybe I can show a little grace and say, hey, listen, if you're not comfortable coming together, let's figure out a different way that we can see each other then. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you have family members that are getting together and that bothers you. Again, can we show a little grace and say, listen, let's just, you guys want to do that? That's fine. This is where we're at and we're okay with that. Let's just make this about Jesus, right? And about loving one another. Let's not make it about trying to bat heads and figure out who's right and wrong. I'll be honest with you. I'm really tired of people trying to figure out who's right and wrong. When really at the end of the day, it's about just giving them Jesus and let Jesus open their hearts and minds to truth. By the way, he's the only one that can, right? He's the only one that can really honestly open our hearts and minds to the truth of who he is and what the gospel is because he is truth. So we give them the word. Yes, we have conversations. Yes, we declare the gospel, of course. But let's be confident in the work of Christ through the Holy Spirit that when we give the word of God to somebody, we don't have to try to make sure it works. I feel like we do this sometimes. We we don't really believe that God is the one that gives the increase. And we try to talk people into things. Man, let's just give them Jesus. But as we're giving them Jesus, let's make sure that our motivations are sacrificial, not selfish. It's not about us. It's about them. So let's endeavor that this Christmas season. And, And how does that look? What does that look like? Let me give you just a couple practicals. Maybe Maybe you serve someone this Christmas that's in need. Maybe you know a family that's, that's in need and, and their kids aren't going to have any gifts this year. Maybe you'd go out of your way and just, I don't know, buy some gifts for them. Uh, maybe you'd provide a meal for someone that you know is hard up right now, that's just having a hard time. Maybe they're out of work and whatever's going on. Maybe you would find a need in the community that you can be a part of. Uh, maybe it's, it's donating coats to a kid's drive so that we can get some kids some winter coats and some winter clothing. Uh, maybe it's something not even connected to our church. Maybe it's something that you know about that nobody else in our church even is aware of and you just feel led. You know what, Lord? Thank you for opening that door. I'll go serve in that way. I've always said it's amazing. When I was a kid, we, we, we really didn't have a lot of money growing up and I would think I was in like sixth grade and we were sitting in, in, our, in our house and we didn't have really a lot of money for gifts and so we were gonna get maybe like one gift each that year, maybe two gifts, which was fine. It wasn't about that, but as a kid, it does kind of like, man, not a lot under the tree. And there was a knock at the door like two days before Christmas, and this family that we knew just comes in with boxes of gifts. And they just set them down, and they're like, here, we just wanted to be a blessing to you guys. And they just left. Guys, it made such an impact on me in that moment to go, why in the world would they care about us like that? Like, who are we? We're just like family friends. We're not even that close. And see, that's the difference that can be made when we take this time of year and we go, hey, listen, I know it's difficult. I know it's hard, but it's not about us. It's not about the stuff. It's about him, and it's about sacrificing the stuff to him. And you now you might say, well, I, I do that. I give to the church, or I give to missions, or I give to this. That's awesome. But you know, sometimes the best way to give a gift to the Lord is by giving it to somebody in need. Isn't that what Jesus said? give a, a cup of cold water to the least of these, and it's like giving it to me? He actually rebukes those when he says, you never visited me when I was sick. And they said, Lord, when were you sick? When were you in prison? When were you? Well, when you do this to the least of these, it's like doing it to me. So this so Christmas, maybe you think, okay, I sacrifice to the church, I serve at the church, that's awesome, that's good. I'm not saying it's an either or. Sometimes we do this. Well, I gave my time so I don't have to do anything else. I gave my offering. I don't do anything else. No, 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 no. That's the wrong view of Christianity. It's not an either or. It's an and. I can do this and I can do this as God gives me opportunity. And it's not always financial either. Maybe you know someone that, a couple that has a young kid or young kids and they haven't had a date night in forever. And you just go, you know what? We'll watch your kid for a night so you can go and have some time together. It's something so simple. But man, when it's done with the heart of love, it's amazing what God can do in that moment. So let's have our motives be sacrificial, not selfish this Christmas. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your gift that you gave to us over 2,000 years ago of coming to this world. Lord, when we read about this kind of precursor to what was going on before the wise men got to you, we see Herod is concerned and selfish, doesn't really care to submit to your authority or your rule, desires to maintain his control, to maintain his power and his authority. But then we meet the wise men. And Lord, it's become kind of a trite saying, but it's true. Wise men still seek Jesus. And so I pray that we would learn from this that, yes, uh, something Herod realized is true. He became aware of something pretty quickly. And it's amazing that he got it before most of us get it. That when you acknowledge that you are the king, that you are Lord, We lose our authority. We lose our power. We lose our control. Because if I truly believe you are Lord, then I will graciously humble myself under your mighty hand. Submitting to your ways, to your leading. And so Herod realized that early on. And I pray that's a lesson that we wouldn't miss this morning. That. That it is true when we submit to you that we lose that ability to say, I'm in charge. Because as a follower of Christ, we're not in charge. We're following you. And so I pray that you'd help us to realize that that in that regard, there's truth there. We need to live that way. And we do that by living sacrificially. Lord, just coming before you with a pure heart of worship, desiring to worship you and lift you up. And so this Christmas season, Lord, as we begin this series, as we begin this month of December, so many great blessings that come through this season. Lord, honestly, I pray we would enjoy each and every one of them to the fullness that you've gifted it to us. But I pray in the midst of all of that, the celebrations, the dinners, the parties, the gatherings, whatever it looks like, the gift giving, the gift buying, Lord, I pray that we would even buy the gifts with a good heart, not just give the gifts with a good heart that we would realize that it's about you and it's about offering it all to you. Help our motives to be pure for your glory. If there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray they'd come to know you before they leave this place, that you would challenge them, prick their heart and reveal to them the need of a Savior, that you died on the cross for them. You were buried and rose again for them and the forgiveness of their sins. And if they will just but call out to you, no matter their background, no matter their sin, no matter where they're at in their life right now, if they would just call out to you, you would save them, redeem them, and give them eternal life. Father, I pray that there's someone in this room or somebody watching online that would receive you for the very first time and receive the greatest gift they could receive this Christmas. Father, for the believers, I pray you'd help us to have that sacrificial attitude. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As we are led in a song of invitation, I invite you to just come before the Lord this morning to bend a knee, maybe there in your seats or here at the altar and say, Lord, I pray that my motivation will be sacrificial, not selfish this Christmas. Help me to evaluate my motives and allow you to be glorified in them in all things related to the season. Would you respond to what he's doing this morning as we sing a song of invitation? And I pray that we would do that, that we'd respond to him this morning.